but it was worth doing because um, I think we crossed over the seven figure threshold in 2016. You know, it was, I, I wouldn't say it was a magical moment, but wow, it was seven figures and uh, all done as a public school teacher. Welcome to the Teacher Money Show, the podcast dedicated to helping educators like yourself navigate your unique financial challenges and unlock your financial superpowers. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, a full-time teacher and entrepreneur, and I'm here to help teachers navigate everything related to your money. Whether you have questions about budgeting on a teacher's salary, managing student loans, increasing your income, or making the most of your benefits, I'm here to make money less confusing, more empowering, and a tool you can use to focus on what matters most. So whether you're a seasoned teacher looking for fresh insights or a new educator navigating your first paycheck, this podcast is your go-to resource for all things money-related. So if you're ready to have a richer wallet, classroom, and life, let's dive in. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither I nor my guests are engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should not act upon this information without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. So excited to have Jerry Bourne here today. This is just going to be a fantastic episode with him. We're going to have a lot of fun talking all about retirement planning. Before we get to that, though, I just want to remind everybody that if you have not already, please uh, you know, subscribe to our channel, to our, our podcast, uh, leave a rating and review, leave a comment, all those things, depending on where you are tuning in. We really appreciate it. But enough of that. Let's talk about Jerry. So Jerry is, in my opinion, the foremost expert on retirement for teachers. So I'm excited to hear everything he has to say about this. And just so you know a bit about Jerry, he is a retired high school Spanish teacher and basketball coach. So he's been doing this, right? And we're going to get into his education story here a bit. He and his wife, Zena, used their teaching salaries to save and invest their way to a seven-figure net worth over the course of 18 years. So less than 20 years, made seven figures um, in, in, in savings and investing. That is something that any teacher can do. So excited to hear his strategies for that. Along the way, they eliminated 48000 of student loan debt, had an awesome son, and lived in Mexico. Jerry currently blogs at MillionaireEducator.com where he focuses on alt-ed college solutions, tax minimization, and good old hardcore savings. His present projects include finishing his doctorate in finance and getting his son through high school and college over the next two years without any student loan debt. Jerry, welcome to the Teacher Money Show. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. This will be awesome. I'm super excited to have you as well. So I want to just dive right on in with, uh, you know, your education story. How long total were you in education? What did you do? Where, where'd you go, et cetera? Yeah, I had to think about my background here. Um, I, I basically, I didn't start out as a teacher. Uh, I went to college and majored in history and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I played basketball in Argentina after college. I, I played at Davidson College. And then I played also another year in El Salvador. And along the way, I learned Spanish. And that kind of steered me toward the, the realm of being becoming a Spanish teacher. And around 1992, I became a, a Spanish teacher in Georgia. 
And on and off, I've taught 18 years uh, in public schools in Georgia, primarily as a Spanish teacher, a little ESL thrown in there. Um, and I was a basketball coach many of those years. Um, also, I spent five and a half years in Saudi Arabia where I taught ESL, English as a second language. And I spent two years at Texas A&M International University. Uh, I was actually doing my MBA, but I was teaching in their language center. Um, I did that for two years. So I have about 26 years of teaching experience, Spanish ESL. And um, it's not what I thought I would do. I was a miserable Spanish student uh, at Davidson. I could barely pass. I had to have a year for my uh, graduation requirement. And it just shows you how uh, ironic life can be at times. Now I love Spanish. I love that. This <laughs> is just the, like, you know, you, you don't get it in school, but then you you get it in real life. And then you want to try and, you know, pass that on to, to other uh, students. Like, look, like you don't have to be crummy in Spanish or something like that. That That's a fantastic uh, a way to go about it. Well, it gave me a lot of empathy for my struggling Spanish students because I used to pull them aside and say, hey, you're a lot better than I was at your age. I was the, as I called myself, the flow killer. And everybody's Q&A with the teacher and he comes to me, the, the awkward silence. I had no clue what was going on. So that really helped in that regard. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I sometimes wish, and I know this is probably not the best wish, but I sometimes wish I'd been a war student so that way I can empathize better with the students that struggle. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that's like, so I need to figure out how I can help you out. So uh, I think that there's, you know, pros and cons to both, but um, that's definitely a, a wonderful thing to be able to connect with the student in that way. Yeah. So you built a seven-figure net worth over 18 years, paid off 48000 in student loan debt, and had this amazing journey towards retirement as you are uh, now retired. At least you're not working. Um, what, what accounts did you use to get there? Uh, how did you build this uh, investment nest egg for your retirement? Yeah, Um well, let me just say, from graduate school, I picked up, my wife and I picked up about $48,000 in student loan debt. And um, we graduated in 1996. I went off to Saudi Arabia and I frantically started paying down that debt because I never had any debt in my life. And uh, so basically when we got done with Saudi Arabia, I had about $100,000 net worth. And I you know, thought I was the richest man in the world because that seemed like a ton of money to me. But then I took a job teaching at LaGrange High School, and I didn't really understand, you know, what retirement accounts look like for public school teachers in the United States. I knew they had a pension, but I didn't know anything else. So from there, I discovered what a 403B is, and that, like many teachers, that's the, the, the vehicle they use for their investment, uh, retirement investing. And so I started with that in 2003. I started funding I guess the the I'll tell you this, the least we ever funded while we were working was $30,000 between the 403B and our IRAs, the individual retirement accounts. So um, for a few years, I did the 403B. We had, I, I lobbied the district to get a TIACREF option uh, offered at the school and then, a, or at the district. And then I uh, lobbied to get Vanguard offered. And we had that for a while. And you know, we we were just maxing out those accounts, and before long, you know, we went from a hundred thousand to 
240, 300. And it was pretty incredible because, you know, like a lot of people in my mind, I just thought there's no way to build wealth as a public school teacher. And that was just not the case for us. Um, then later, I think about 2005, I discovered the 457 and I started using that a, a bit. And, um, it, you know, I didn't have enough income to really max out a 403B and 457. Uh, but then eventually I did have enough income and I uh, started using that one as well. And then my wife did. So I would say we did 403Bs, 457s, and uh, IRAs. And then around 2012, we started using our health savings accounts. Um, this allowed us to save. I, there, I looked at our numbers today, and it's on my blog. If you look under our story, I have our yearly savings, what we contributed to our um, retirement accounts. And three years, we did over $100,000 uh, between those four accounts. So it is doable. Now it takes some, you know, planning. I, I, I did, you can't save that money and then go spend it. So you, you, you got to have money to live off of. And then you're, it's hard to reconcile money, you know, your income for daily needs and then your, your savings. So it seems like every December we would kind of um, drag in and, and barely make it and with, with those contributions, but it was worth doing because um, I think we crossed over the seven figure threshold in 2016, September of 2016. And, uh, you know, it was, I, I wouldn't say it was a magical moment, but wow, it was seven figures. And, uh, all done as a public school teacher. Wow. Okay. There is a ton of th stuff that you said that I'd like to unpack here. Uh, okay. First of all, congratulations on on making uh, seven figures in investing investments, a seven figure net worth uh, as a public school teacher. That is an incredible feat. Uh, first thing, you chose to go to Saudi Arabia because you had debt. That's what you said. Why Saudi Arabia? What, what made that choice? Yeah, I, let's see. Uh, previous to that, I had taught in Georgia, and I think the most I made in a year was $22,000. You know, this is a different reality back then. And um, Saudi Arabia, I think the first year I made $39,000, but also I had uh, my, my living arrangement provided, and I shared a car with another coworker. Only thing I really had to pay for was food and phone. So there wasn't even internet in Saudi Arabia at the time. So it was a good way to go, you know, get some money, decent money at the time and, and pay off that debt. And so about after, I guess, two, two and a half years, I had paid off the, our, our student loans. And that's why I ended up there. Stayed a little longer to build a nest egg. Um, technically, I worked for um, Booz Allen and Hamilton out of the D.C. area consulting firm. And uh, I think they gave us like a 10% to our 401k. It wasn't even my max. They just put 10% of your salary in that. So uh, that was growing and uh, my savings were growing and I was learning to invest at Vanguard at the time. And uh, then 9-11 happened and my wife and I decided to come back to the States. Well, yeah, that, that makes sense why that would impact that decision. Um, but yeah, so uh, a good way to get good income, at even, you know, 
still teaching. If, if you're interested in going overseas, there's a lot of really good options for overseas. As even if the pay is comparable, oftentimes they provide housing, which is huge. And um, as a side note, if you're willing to live in a small town, some small town districts also provide housing for their teachers. So there are options if you want to reduce your expenses and increase your income as a teacher, uh, if you're willing to move somewhere or take a, a different kind of job in that regard. Yeah, that's essentially been part of our, our plan as well. We've we uh, moved to a small town in South Georgia, Eccles, uh, Statenville, which is in Eccles County, Georgia. Uh, I think it's 4,000 people in the whole county. Some people might view it as, as a, a prison sentence, but we liked it. The people are friendly, but we're on the Georgia pay scale. So we get paid the same as people everywhere else in the state. So it worked out great. It was a type of geo-arbitrage we could do right here in our own state. Awesome. That, that is awesome. Okay, next question. You said you were able to put away 30000 a year into your 403B. That's between you and your wife, correct? Yeah, and that also, that first year includes the IRA. I yeah, think the yeah. IRAs back <clears throat> then were 3000 each, and it was 12000 for a 403B. So we, we just said, well, we'll just... Feed the accounts. You max them out. Okay. When I first started teaching, my first year teaching, we sat down, had that wonderful day-long HR meeting where the HR explains everything and you're expected to remember it because, you know, that makes sense. Just explaining it all to a first-year teacher right out of the gate. And they said, and, you know, the maximum you can contribute to your 403B is 19.5 a year. And every teacher in the room looked at the person next to them and said, like, that's never going to happen. There's just this automatic, like, <clears throat> there's no way I can put away 19.5 or, or in your case, you know, 12,000 uh, from my paycheck. How are you able to do that? Well, first thing I did is they offered me the chance to teach extended day at LaGrange High School, my first job back in the States, uh, LaGrange, Georgia. And that paid 25% more right off the bat. And that, I think the first year back, I made 56,000 and keep, keep in mind, I made 22 or 24,000 my previous Georgia teaching job. So the pay had come up dramatically in Georgia and my wife made 30, 30 some odd thousand dollars. She was like not a certified teacher quite yet. So I think the first year we made about 85, 86,000 together. So all right, eighty-five thousand minus thirty, you still have fifty-five thousand dollars, right? Um, so you just kind of, you know, do that little gamemanship with yourself and and just say we're going to live from one salary. Yeah, if you have dual income, uh, there there is no reason why you can't, you know, if, even if you can't max out your retirement incomes, uh, your retirement accounts, you, there's no reason you can't put a substantial amount away because you know you unless you're over living your your uh salary if you're over living with your expenses if you have too big of a house too nice of a car or something like that which that's something you need to look into your own finances your own self and ask yourself that question i'm not going to sit there and like wag my finger at you and tell you you have too big of a house but if your house takes up 50 percent of your both of your incomes because you qualified for it uh then it's something to reconsider how uh, you want to live if you want to be able to put money away for retirement. So 
uh, Jerry decided to live on a single salary, which was actually more than he had lived on previously. Uh, but he's able to just say, look, we're just going to live on this one salary instead of getting a bigger house, a nicer house, a bigger TV, a bigger, you know, whatever, bigger, better all the time. Uh, that allowed him to put away 30000 a year right out of the gate. I love that. Well, and, and we bought a, a used car from, I think it was uh, Enterprise, and we drove that thing from 2003 or four until 2016. And for whatever reason, my wife and I, when we got married, we didn't really know, like, we didn't understand how it, this would work to our benefit, but we just opened up a joint account since we're married. And so everything went in there and we just lived off that. Now, a lot of couples, um, they view their money as only their money and, uh, you know, the at an individual level and they, they're kind of not in sync financially. So we were always in step together in that regard. I, I love that. Okay. My next thing I need to unpack here is you didn't have the options you wanted to invest in. So you lobbied your district for better options. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, the, the first thing I noticed as I started looking at the 403B options in our district was that about half of the numbers to the providers, the, no one ever picked up the phone. It was it was just bizarre to me. And so I'm looking at our options and none of them, they all seem to be what I would deem fee bloated. And, you know, in Saudi Arabia, let me go back and say, I, I do have an MBA, my wife and I both. And so in Saudi Arabia, I, I probably read every back issue of like Money and Kiplinger magazine because there's not a lot to do in the desert at times. And I, I realized the importance of fees and how they negatively can impact your investment return. So I was really in tune with that message. And so I started looking at some of the providers and they all were annuity products and they were very expensive. And by that, I mean over 2%. I think the average annuity plan charges 2.25 percent so i just said well you know what i'm i i just reached out to a guy at tiacref and he got back to me an email that day and um i the the um guy who ran the plans at the district level he told me well if you can get 25 people to sign your list we'll get them added so we did that i mean i was a new employee in the district and i think my first week i sent out a district-wide email uh, looking back on that, I can't believe I did that, but we we had probably 50 or 75 people signed up for it. They came by to, to my classroom, signed the thing, and we got it added. Um, and eventually we did something similar to that with Vanguard. Yeah, it, you know, there's just a few few things I want to make sure we understand here. One, 2% doesn't sound like a big number for a fee, but to put it in perspective, Vanguard, if you just have like a total stock market index fund of Vanguard, they charge you 0.04%. All right. So the difference on a million dollars of 2% and 0.04% is thousands of dollars, right? Per year, right? So that's just like, it's a huge, huge chunk of money that you're losing by using 2% versus 0.04%. And they have some that are a little higher than that, but anything above 1% is generally speaking going to be way too high of a fee for you. And unfortunately, most 403Bs that schools provide have high fees because they're not regulated the same way that 401Ks are. And the people that are giving, like providing them to you at the school, they're not vetting them, right? You would think, oh, the school is one out of their way to make sure they have the best products. No, 
people come to the school and say, hey, I want to offer a 403B. And they fill out some paperwork and the school says, okay, we'll add you to our list. Like that, that's what most schools do. They're, they're not trying to make sure you have the best product. They're not even researching it. They're just letting people add to your list. So if you want a better product, then you can do exactly what Jerry did, said we need to have Vanguard. We need to have Fidelity even. We need to have, uh, I, I don't know which one you said first. You said T- T- TFRF. TFRF, okay. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a number of really good options out there that you can get by just asking. Your district will probably say, well, you need to jump through these hoops, but jumping through those hoops is way better than losing thousands and thousands of dollars to high fees. And then uh, another uh, point I wanted to make is that an annuity is like a pension, right? You you have a pension already. Your, your school or your district is putting money away for you into the pension system. And that, that's money that is getting invested for you. And uh, the end result is that there is a set benefit that you get from the pension at the end. An annuity does the same thing. You put money in to the annuity, and then at the end of you know your your time putting it in, you know, 30 years or whatever it is, there's a set amount that you get back out. So the the insurance company that sells the annuity, what they're trying to do is uh, make sure that the investments that they are making for you are going to make enough money that they can pay you your set amount and then they make money on top of that. So basically you are getting another pension on top of your pension instead of having a pension already as like a safety net, which you can then, uh, you know, you have that that base, but then you have your, your own investments on top of that, which you can then take more risk with. You can have more potential of growth with all sorts of different options if you uh, have your own investments on top of your pension instead of uh, an annuity or basically a second pension on top of your pension. So you, you've been, you're contributing to these accounts. Uh, you're able to put a lot away. You get the better accounts. Um, and then you say you discover the 457B. How do you discover it? What does this look like? Well, I think the first year we got an email and it said it was available and I didn't really understand what it, what it was and how I would be able to use it. And I started talking with one of the financial advisors when he was in the hall and I asked him to talk to me about it a little bit. And I, I realized it was, it was uh, I could use it because it had one really key feature. Um, it, the, if that money, if you were ever to leave the job, you could pull money out of that account without um, take, without being uh, subject to a pre 59.5 penalty and that penalty is 10%. So uh, if you were to take money out of a 401k or 403b, you're going to pay a 10% penalty on, on your distribution. Well, this one is exempt from that. Technically it's like a deferred compensation. It, it would come in as regular income and that kind of got the wheels turning in my head. And I also realized that the um, 403B and the 457, those contributions are not, as they say, um, coordinated. So you can max out the 403B and the 457. So that basically doubled the amount of money I could put away um, in a tax uh, tax advantaged account. So then, you know, your mad scientist part of your brain kicks in and I started devising a plan. And eventually what I ended up 
doing was building a sizable account in the in the 457, um, my account and my wife's account. And uh, we got it up to about uh, $90,000. And then we, we had the, I had the idea we should quit our jobs and go somewhere else for two main reasons. One, when you separate service, you leave a job, you can move your money from accounts, right? Um, 403B accounts. And I, I basically what I wanted to do was move those uh, that money to uh, my Vanguard IRA, just roll it over. And that would also allow me to start tapping the $90,000 in the 457. So here's what I did. Quit the job, move my 403B money to my Vanguard rollover IRA. Got it to a pasture. I wanted to keep it and nurture it there. And now I had $90,000 that my wife and I could pull as income. And which meant at my new job, I could max out every account pretty much effortlessly. I can't say the word today. And, and, and the reason I was able to do that is I had a financial tailwind at my back which was basically money coming in for my 457. I think for three years, we pulled out $30,000. Um, and that just enabled us to uh, basically take our salaries and steer them to the 457, 403B, IRA, and eventually HSA at our new job. Okay, so what you did is you changed jobs and then you took that money and you used that money as your living expenses. So that way you could take all of your actual income and put that directly into all of your accounts. That is incredible. So just a couple of, of, of uh, ideas. One, age 59 and a half is when you're allowed to start pulling uh, retirement benefits without penalty from you know, like a 403B or 401k. Uh, that's that's the the retirement age currently in in the United States. So if you pull out money from any of those accounts uh, before that age, the government will say, well, ten percent of that money gone. Like you 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 don't get it because you're pulling it out early. The four fifty seven b is exempt from that if you are putting your money in and then you leave your job, and then you can pull that out without that ten percent penalty. You'll still pay taxes on it as if it's you know, income. So, because uh, you, when you put it in, you know, like a traditional account, you you don't pay taxes on it. So when you pull it out, you have to pay taxes on it. Uh, but you can then use that the the way Jerry uh, did to you know live on while you do something else with your uh, money. And we'll also talk about another uh, step that Jerry took to really you know it, it, uh, accelerate his retirement using the four fifty seven B. But you can you can do that to start trying to max out all of your accounts. And uh, just to, you know, point this out for everyone, if you have a 403B and a 457 and an IRA and an HSA, we're talking about 20,000-ish dollars. It's like 20.5 or, you know, whatever. 20,000-ish for the 403B, 20,000-ish for the 457, that's $40,000. IRA is around seven. HSA is around seven. So we're talking about $54,000 you can put away tax, we're not tax-free, but without paying taxes on it up front that you can save for retirement per person, right? Well, actually, no, I take that back. The HSA is like three for an individual and then seven for a family. So it, I think it might it might be a, a nuance there. I'm not sure about, but, you know, say $50,000 per person, you could put away $100,000 without paying any taxes on it up front, you know, and that would be very difficult for 
for uh, a new teacher. But if you have two teachers that are, you know, 25 years in, especially or 20 years in, you're getting close to that point where you could potentially uh, be putting away most of that money, if not all of it. Well, and one of the things that my wife were very conscious of was how we could bump up our income. And all seven years at LaGrange, I did extended day. And during that time, we also finished our, our six-year um, educational specialist degrees, um, basically just to get the $6,000 a year pay increase. So that's $12,000 between, between us every year we got just by getting that degree. So we, we thought like that because we were trying to bump up our income so we can max out our accounts. That's awesome. And, and another thing that I recommend is if you have like a, a side business or a side hustle, you bring that money in, you can live off of that income. And then, you know, if you make $10,000 a year in your side business, you just offset $10,000 into a retirement account with your uh, personal income. And, you know, you've offset the, the money that you need to live off of, but you've put more away for retirement. It's a, it's a little hack that you can do there also to increase your, your income. They say that rock stars know rock stars. Well, I have a better saying. Teachers know teachers. And the only way that I'm going to be able to help more teachers have a richer wallet, classroom, and life is if you help me. So... Tell your friends, talk about it in the lunchroom, during a PD, or just any time you see another teacher struggling with their finances. Let them know about the Teacher Money Show. I really appreciate it. Wow, that was that was one question that we just sat there and unpacked for 20 minutes. No way we're going to get to all these questions, but I, I, I'm loving it. Love it, love it, love it. So you have all of these accounts, right? We have our 457 beta deferred compensation. We have the 403B, which is like a 401k, but you need to be careful of the options that are available to you because they could have high fees. You have the IRA, you know, that individual retirement account, you have it in your control. You can use it. Uh, you can contribute to it anywhere that you work and those kinds of things. It's got a lower amount you can put in. The HSA, which we haven't explained yet, which I'll have you define what that is for our audience first and then answer this next question. Um, not to mention that we have a pension, which is uh, generally speaking, taken out of our accounts without us, you know, deciding whether or not we want the pension. It's just required. Um, you have all these things that you can do uh, for retirement and, you know, you can also put money away just in a regular investment. Uh, what is your choice? You know, I'm not saying this is what everyone has to do, but what would you go with first? If you had start over today, let's say that you were, 30 years old and you're like, okay, I need to start preparing for retirement. What's the first bucket that you would fill? And then the next and so forth. Yes. Uh, uh, order of operations. Yeah. I would, knowing what I know now, I would have always funded my 457 first um, just because if I ever wanted to leave and take a break from teaching, I could access that money, but it's, 457, and then it would be my 403B. I like those accounts just because uh, you can make money. Uh, it's not taxable, right? It comes off your taxable income, and that's a beautiful thing. And it's very important to look at those at the beginning of the year because you only got those 12 pay periods to fund them. It's it's you know limited from January to December, 
So that's why those are my first two things I always funded. Generally speaking, I would, I would January and February, I would do the whole, my wife and I do whole paychecks. Um, and then we'd smooth it out over a 10 month period. And then from there, we would look at the IRA and HSA. That was kind of like the secondary level. And the reason we, we considered those, like we could take our time to fund those is because we had till April 15th of the following year to get money in those accounts. And the last thing we ever funded would just be our taxable accounts, our brokerage account. And quite frankly, we just didn't have the financial wherewithal to put any money in that. We were, you know, um, feeding those tax advantage accounts first and foremost. Yeah, you know, it, it depends on, on what you want, right? Uh, the, the taxable accounts are uh, flexible. You don't have to worry about uh, fees. You know, of course, they're taxable, but there's you can put it in a week later you can pull it out right it's it's, it's there's no uh rules you really have to worry about so that's why people might prefer those the hsa is is really really cool i like the hsa because you can put money in tax-free it can grow tax-free you can actually invest money in an hsa depending on your provider and then for medical expenses or at you know age 59 and a half you can pull that money out tax-free as well uh so th th there's that um tax advantage with HSA and but the the downside there is you have to have a high deductible um, health plan to have an HSA but then the 457 you know you have that that flexibility of leaving your job you can then use those funds so there's just there's so many things to balance it depends on what your goals are what uh, bucket okay. you're going to fill first yeah and this might be a good time to interject this um, you probably noticed I haven't talked much about Roth and I like Roth accounts but I, I wanted to get my savings as high as possible. And so I didn't put anything in Roth accounts. Now, since that time, I have done some Roth conversions where I've taken that money and moved it to Roth accounts and you pay whatever tax um, is, is associated with that. So you, you even if you use you know pre-tax accounts, don't think that you cannot turn those into Roth. There are ways to do that. And there's a lot of articles on the internet about that. So, I mean, I think we've all, all told we have about 300K in Roth accounts now that we've just transitioned over the years. But I've never like put it initially in a Roth. It's all been through conversions. Yeah, and I think they're both options. Once again, it depends on, on what, you, what you want. If you're going to you know work the entire 30 years, then I think there's a lot of really good... Um, uh, reasons to put it into you know a traditional account to defer taxes now and then uh, play with it later. If you're not necessarily going to do that, then you might want to you know look at the Roth option um, because there's just a lot of benefits the other way. Also, you know the Roth takes away some of the advantages of the 457B. If you have the the Roth 457 version, the uh, separating from service thing doesn't apply as much because it just starts to act more like an IRA, a Roth IRA. Where you can take out your contributions, but the the gains are, are are different. So you need to be careful of that, and not just assume. Oh, I like the Roth, and I like the four fifty seven. So you can put them together, and it's the same same option. Um, but yeah, the Roth Roth accounts are are another thing to definitely uh, consider. <clears> okay, <throat> I really like how you have used the four fifty seven for your retirement how you have uh, used it to help you get to retirement at the time that you wanted to retire, your choice. Because I'm all about 
teachers need to walk away from teaching when they are ready to walk away from teaching, not when their pension kicks in, not when they, you know, are finally done paying off this or that, you know, debt, not when they feel like, oh, I, I finally made it this far, uh, or, you know, I'm so burnt out that I, you know, am just dragging myself out of bed every morning. Like there needs to be a, I know I'm ready to leave and I can leave. I'm done. So how did you use the 457 to walk away from teaching when you were ready to walk away and not holding on for, for a few more years? Well, I've used that 457 uh, quite a few times to basically step away from teaching. Um, I used that first time to basically accelerate my savings rate, but then one, I'm just make sure I'm telling you right. I have quit three jobs since then, and I was able to live off 457 um, funds. Um, and then I would, after, like, for example, my first year, uh, I took a six month break one time. I took a year break and I took two years off from teaching. And now I'm currently in my third year of not teaching. So that allowed that. And um, now I'm, I'll be, I'll be 60 in December now. And the 457 money has allowed, has served me as not only as freedom money, but it's been bridge money to get me to my uh, pension um, eligibility date. And I took my last uh, 457 distri distribution this year. And uh, this December, I'll, like I said, I'll get my, from Georgia TRS, we'll get my first uh, payment. So I'll be retired. So if I didn't have that 457 money, uh, behind me, it would have been very difficult to get to this stage. So that's how I use 457 money to help me get to retirement. Awesome. Yeah. It, I mean, if you were just a, a, the regular teacher, you know, that teacher we all know in the building is like, oh, pension kicks in three years. That's how long I'm going to be here. Second, that pension kicks in, I'm out, right? We, we all know that that teacher, unfortunately, but I love how you didn't have to be that teacher. You just said, you know what? It's time to walk away. And I've got that 457 behind me to get me to that, that part where we have uh, the pension. Well, like I was telling you before we started, I have one of the greatest jobs in the country. I, I teach here at Eccles County. for That's uh, what I taught. And small school, great students, nice people in the community. But I was just losing my mojo, so to speak. I just wanted to do some different things. And that's why I stepped away. And the 457 money allowed me to do that. I, I figured if I stayed any longer, I didn't want to be the teacher you're describing. And um, if I wasn't all in at that school, I, I needed to do something else. And I did. It's, it's really a disservice to the, the students to stay and hold on just for the pension. Because when you don't have Amen. that fire in you, you don't have that that drive you, you're not excited to be teaching and educating and growing and learning yourself. So that way you can keep giving them uh, what, what they need to be successful, then you're going to get mediocre results and the, the students are going to suffer. So, um, you know, as much as we have the, the heart for teaching, then sometimes that pushes us like, Oh, I can't leave yet because, you know, there, there's a teacher shortage or, you know, or whatever, uh, if you're not giving your all, then you're not helping. So I, I really want to help as many teachers as possible to stay in teaching as long as possible, 
while they have the fire in them and then be ready to leave when it's time to go. I think that is a, a huge, huge thing for educators today. Well, also, if they're saving 20, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars a year, that's very motivating. You, you know, it puts a little spring in your step when you come to school. Um, the, the last couple of years, my wife and I taught, we we noticed how the the irritants of the job didn't seem to bother us as much. And one of the main reasons we decided was we were saving $10,000 a month. Okay. So it changes your perspective. Yeah. Especially if you know, you have that money, like in that 457, where if they say, you know what, you're out of here. We don't want you here anymore. And, you know, you don't have to worry as much because you can be like, great. I've got my 457 behind me. I'm good. I don't need this job. Right. If you need the job for the next month to pay the bills, then we've got a problem because you can't walk away, right? You'd have to immediately go try and find something else. You'd be scrambling. But if you have that 457 behind you and they tell you, you know, you're done, you're out, then you're good. So that, that means you're also able to be more bold, right? If they, they say, you know, you have to do this, you can say, no, I don't really. Like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> So you can either <laughs> tell me to leave or I'm not going to do it. Right. Cause we've all had those things where they just, they'd say, you know, you have to, I don't know, do this duty. You have to do that. You have to stay after for these, you know, three hour seminars. Like, I don't know, whatever the thing is that they're telling you to do that you don't want to do. You have a bit more power in your pocket if you have money stowed away. Well, and at a minimum, you can offer an unfiltered opinion, you know, not saying that you're a jerk, but th they know you don't have to be there. And they'll say, hey, well, what do you think? I'm like, uh, that might push people the wrong way. You might not want to do that. You know, you can just be open, much more open because it's you're not there just for money. Well, way to say that much better than I did, Jerry. <laughs> yes, don't be a jerk, right? Don't, you know. <laughs> raise your middle finger at your boss and, and no. walk away. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about you have the ability to not worry about what your boss thinks about you and your approach to teaching, uh, your opinion on the, the initiatives that they're offering, whatever you can just be open and honest because you don't have, they, they don't have the money power over your life. All right. Well, we have been here for a, a really you know great discussion and I have a ton more questions I could ask you. So I think we're going to have to have you back because this has been a lot of fun. Oh, awesome. I, I'm always up for uh, talking about teacher money. Sounds great. So I'll, I'll definitely, uh, you know, invite you back some other time. But as we're wrapping it up, I just got two more questions I'd like to ask you. Uh, first question is, uh, what is your number one tip for teachers to have a richer wallet, classroom and life? Oh, I wrote some answers to that. Hold on, let me make sure I got them all. Okay. First thing I wrote came to mind was control your money because if you don't, your money problems will control you. Um, when your money's under control, life is much more enjoyable and you have many more life options. Um, the next thing I thought about is, um, you know, your mindset about money is very key. Be aware that um, self-fulfilling prophecies um, are, are a real thing. So if you say, I'm just not good at money, I'm terrible, I've always had money problems, it's just part of me, you need to change your thinking because you can really self-sabotage a lot. And, you know, like a lot of teachers, I used to have these ideas in my head, but um, 
just realize there's a lot you control about your uh, your money and your wealth. And the last thing that came to mind is, um, say you're a young teacher and you you know you're thinking about saving and investing, and a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to do five or ten percent. There's no real reason to go beyond that. You need to understand that it's a okay to just go start building wealth now. And if you've got the wherewithal to max out all your accounts, that's okay. Because even though you might not know what you want to do with that money right now, and you don't have plans for it, trust me, at some point, you'll be very happy that you built that, um, that financial war chest. And it's going to end up giving you a lot of options down the road. So if you come into, say, a windfall, and that allows you to go max out all your accounts. I would highly recommend doing that. You know, like you just said earlier, that could be up, you know, with a 403B, 457, IRA, HSA, it could be 50,000 bucks. You just make disappear from your taxes. If you want to save money and you want to grow your money, it's okay. Go for it. I love it. Love it. I love it. I think mindset is just the number one thing that, that people are struggling with as teachers in money. And I love how you're bringing up like you, you have to believe your control and know your control. And then you, you don't have to believe all these things people tell you, right? Like you can only put away five or 10%, right? You, you have to just, you know, think about it independently and have that, that strong uh, mindset towards uh, your, your money as educators, because it just makes uh, your, your uh, finances go so much better. Uh, it's it's really mind over matter is an actual thing that that we we talk about all the time with students right if you believe that you can do well you can do well well if you believe that you can become wealthy you can become wealthy teachers can become wealthy you, you can do it uh, you just need to get past all of the uh, uh, I like to call them ducks you know the people in the in the lunchroom that quack about their problems right you have to get past all those people <laughs> who are like we don't get paid enough we don't do this and you're like uh, you know I can't believe that this child did this right. Those are, those are the ducks. We have to get past those, past all the quacking and just think for ourselves and be like, no, I can do this. I can be successful. I can be wealthy. You know, it doesn't matter how much um, I'm, I uh, feel like as an educator, I'm not going to be paid enough. I can take control of my fan finances. I can, you know, do the extended day. I can move to Saudi Arabia. I can do all these things to take control of my finances uh, if I choose to do so. And I didn't always think like that. You know, I, I had a lot of negative uh, thoughts about money. And, uh, you, you know, you're right, is that in, in the teacher's lounge is, oh, boy, it's so sometimes when I start talking about money there, I always felt like I was the turd in the punch bowl because I was kind of messing up the party, the pity party. I think but, you yeah. might be the uh, the fruit in the turd bowl instead, actually. <laughs> the fruit in the turd bowl. I like that. <laughs> All right. So last question, uh, you know, uh, say a, a teacher is wanting to understand this better or they may, ha may have a question for you. Where can the teacher get in contact with you? I blog at millionaireeducator.com. Um, I've actually got a post that's almost done. It's the 2024 free money article, which is a tax planning article. It's my most requested. Um, so and I also write about, like I said, alt ed. Uh, issues like all higher ed alternatives. There's a lot of them now. So, and I'm also on Twitter, Jerry Bourne. You can find me there. Um, but I, I, I'm pretty much retired these days. I'm still trying to put a little bit out. Reach out to me and see if I can help you. I will, but I, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a 
CFP. I don't I don't want to manage people's monies. I'm not a, an Almer, an asset under management person. I don't want to do that. All right. Well, so excited that you came on today, Jerry. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom about retirement accounts. It's been wonderful. Great. Thanks for having me. Good luck with this podcast. If you'd like to come on the podcast for coaching, to share an expert opinion, or just to talk about a topic you think is relevant, I'd love to talk to you. Just fill out the form at teachermoneyshow.com slash guest. I look forward to talking with you.